Hi guys. So, I mean, major update from my house is that Dylan has COVID, guys. Dylan has COVID. He has the Miami bachelor party strain of COVID, which is a dirty kind of COVID. It really is a, it's a dirtier kind. And we all know, generally speaking, kind of what men are like when they're sick. It's bleak over here. I'm trying not to get it. But at the same time, I don't mind if I get it because then that kind of means that I won't get it over the holidays and, you know, my birthday and then, oh, yeah, my wedding in February. But I just want to celebrate the fact that the leaves are changing in everywhere but Los Angeles because we don't do that here. But the air is getting a little crisper. We're heading towards the most beautiful, wonderful time of year. Like it's the fall. It's time to get cozy. It's time to wear sweaters with no bra and like maybe pajamas under. Like who knows what you're wearing underneath. Just this incredible time that I'm so fucking excited and happy that summer's over. Unpopular opinion, but like that's just how I feel. Back to why we're all here. So today's episode is so exciting for me. Like I really can barely contain my excitement because we have Holly and Bridget, Holly Madison and Bridget Marquart from the girls next door. If you've been living under a rock as a millennial for the past 20 years or whatever, that was like the Playboy show. And it was about Hef's three girlfriends who were Holly, Bridget and Kendra. So Holly and Bridget have since moved on to now they record a podcast called Girls Next Level, which is like a rewatch of the old show. Girls Next Door, I think, premiered in 2005. I don't think I know because like obviously best day of my life. And I watched that shit religiously. So like if you're like me and fangirled so hard over the three of them, this episode is for you. It's like inside baseball. We learned so much dirt and just like interesting information about like how they felt about their time there. And it's just kind of like a whole five season rewatch in one episode. Their new podcast is unbelievable. It's almost as good as their original show. But what's funny is, I don't know, we've talked about this in other episodes, but I lived across the street from the Playboy Mansion for my entire childhood. So the girls next door really were the girls next door to me. And like at the time, I didn't know what that phrase girls next door actually meant. So I just thought it was like aptly named for where I lived in this world. Like I was like, oh, yes, they are the girls next door, probably to everyone. But yeah, so Playboy was a big part of my upbringing. My mom was a centerfold. She actually also did a cover. If you guys have ever seen that Playboy cover with the girl with the yellow sunglasses, fun fact, that's my mom. It's like one of their most iconic covers, not to brag, for her. And so Playboy was like a big part of my childhood. I always knew that my mom did it, but like I didn't care that I lived across the street other than knowing that they threw parties until like four in the morning and my bedroom was the outermost facing bedroom in my house. So I, uh, you know, weirdly had a chandelier. I learned now that it's very weird to have a chandelier in your bedroom, but I had a chandelier in my bedroom and it would shake all night. So I'm a very sound sleeper now because like the Playboy parties would keep me up for all hours of the night when I was like in first, second, third grade. And then when I was in fifth grade, this incredible show came out. So then I actually got super obsessed with the girls next door and Playboy in general. And like I would go to all the parties growing up. Their Easter party was amazing. Their Fourth of July, like all that stuff. 
you'll hear us in the episode we referenced the peacocks because those motherfucking peacocks, they had like a zoo. Like I think Hef was the only residence with a zoo permit in Los Angeles, as one does. So he had these peacocks that, I don't know if you've spent a lot of time with peacocks, they make this meowing sound. They're like, it sounds like dying cats. And it starts from like 3 p.m. until I'm not kidding, like 9 p.m. So I was reminiscing with Holly and Bridget about how we are some of the only people who I think can actually tell you what a peacock sounds like because it's all we heard like all night. So anyway, it was really fun walking down memory lane with them and getting to revisit our neighborliness and what went on in Homeby Hills for those incredible golden years from like 2005 to 2009. I am just such a huge fan of theirs and This episode is just fucking fun from start to finish. The juice is loose. There is so much for us to like talk about after this. And I'm dying to hear what you think because they just blew my mind. And they're they're the same girls, like obviously just with a lot more wisdom and knowledge from all the years since they've been on TV. But they're the same girls and like you'll fall in love with them all over again. You will really feel like that adolescent girl that we all were like watching their show. So with that being said, I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode and let's get to it. I'll stop talking now and actually I'll just continue talking, but I'll stop this intro now. So here we go. Here are Holly and Bridget. Hi, you guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So this episode is a bit of a reunion, actually, because (laughs) I grew up across the street from the Playboy Mansion. We truly were the girls next door. You guys really were (laughs) the girls next door. I mean, like, what a perfect name for the show. I feel like we are the only people on the earth that know what the peacocks sound like at all hours of the night. (laughs) You know, like, there's some things that just we know. I also was the biggest fan of the show. Uh So this is very exciting for me. Holly, do you remember when my sister came over and borrowed your peacock costume? Yes, I do. And your mom was so nice. She like had it cleaned and like sent me over the best cupcakes I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Oh my God. It was so sweet. Everyone's like, how old was your sister when she borrowed it? I was like, uh, 16. Like, like, I don't know what business she had wearing that costume (laughs) to anything. It's skimpy. (laughs) It is very skimpy, but it was like actually the peacock feathers from the mansion or was it? Yeah, I went around. And I gathered them in the backyard when they would shed off the peacocks. And then I took them to Trashy Lingerie and we collaborated on this costume. (laughs) Oh my God. Did Trashy Lingerie lose all their business when you guys left the mansion? (laughs) Well, you know what? You know what I think is crazy for Trashy Lingerie is they used to be the only ones who made kind of those sexy fairy tale outfits. But then all these companies started doing cheaper ones. So I think that really changed the market. Yeah. Because you guys definitely kept them in business for the longest time. Oh, we were there like, I feel like once a month, right, Bridget? We would get something new there. (laughs) Oh, I feel like I was there all the time. Like Like, I have them on speed dial. (laughs) There was like a constant rotation. Like it's like we would go in and come up with an idea. And then sometimes we would even go find our own fabrics in certain situations and bring those down there and then like wait for it. And then we'd rhinestone it when it was done. It was like a constant like cycle. (laughs) Yeah. We had to go in for fittings. Like we were always at Trashy. And they were like (laughs) intricate and like beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. So I was, you know, a child when I lived next to you guys. And I was (laughs) excluded from most of the parties. Like I came to Easter. I came to Fourth of July. I came to Halloween just to go through the haunted house or whatever. But I didn't go to like Mardi Gras or anything else that was adults only. 
Well, if you're asking us, in my opinion, 4th of July, and in Bridget's opinion, the Halloween slash haunted house are the best parties. So you right. got the best okay, out good. of all of them. Not that the other ones weren't fun, but you got the best ones. Yeah. Like I went down the inflatable slide. Like I did yes. the whole thing. The, that was so fun. You guys breathe fresh air into the mansion, I feel like, which everyone knows, obviously, from watching the show. I feel like we felt like we got a behind the scenes look at what was going on, but it was so different I'm learning especially from listening to your guys' show and just seeing all like the documentaries that have come out since it wasn't all inflatable slides and trashy lingerie (laughs) yeah it's interesting because at the time it probably seemed very behind the scenes just because people didn't really know a lot about Hef's current life like they'd heard all the legend leading up to it and stuff but it really wasn't I mean from my perspective it wasn't very like behind the scenes at all it was very much a glossy not that a lot of the things we did on the show weren't real but it was just a very glossy packaged like let's make this an amazing advertisement for Playboy and Hef and make it kind of family friendly so it wasn't very behind the scenes in my opinion right That's my first question is like, was the intention for 12 year olds to be watching this show? I don't think that was the intention. The E! Network was a much smaller network when they picked up our show. They they had one hit to their name. It was the Anna Nicole show, which was done oh by the time God. we came on. But they yes. used to have things like the show called Wild On, where mm-hmm. they'd go around the world to parties and they would show like video of the Howard Stern radio show. So that was kind of their lineup. So because they were like really Howard Stern heavy, it was thought of as like an adult network but just the way the show was so cartoony it just really appealed to even families like there were so many people I meet today who are like oh my god I watched you in first grade (laughs) and I don't think that was the intention of E but I think just the style of the show and the way it was packaged and how cartoony and bright and colorful it was it really just caught the eye of kids I think that they originally thought that they were going to have a male audience with it. Mm-hmm. And they were, I think they were surprised that it's majority female and still is like our fan yeah. base is like 80% female. Right. All the millennial girls growing up at that time. I remember for my birthday, I don't know if you guys remember sis, but she was yeah. like, right? yeah. <laughs> we're going to fully go down memory. This lane. is a blast from the past. I love <laughs> sis. She yeah, was just she, like, kept it so real. She is hilarious. But she, for my birthday, cause I was obsessed with you guys, got me like your guys' cover and you guys signed it or whatever. And I was like thinking, cause I found it later on, like when I was older and I was like, this was definitely not the demographic that you guys thought you guys would be signing things for. And like, you know, I think it was like my 13th birthday and I was like, I'm obsessed. Cause then I started going to the parties just to see you guys. So let's go back to like when you guys first started the show. When I say I'm the biggest fan, I've seen every episode 15,000 times. Like I barely <laughs> oh, needed to you. prep for this interview. <laughs> but was there one like family dinner discussion where like you guys laid out the rules. You're not allowed to talk about this. You're not allowed to say this X, Y, and Z, or was it up to your own discretion? Well, we were not included in the creative process at all in the beginning, or even asked if we wanted to do the show. It was Mm. just like, I remember years earlier, half asked me at one point, would you ever want to do like an Osborne style reality show? And at the time we had all these other women living at the house and it was kind of a disaster. And I said, no, absolutely not. I would never want to do that. Cut to two years later, you guys are doing a reality show. (laughs) Like, great. (laughs) And I'm glad we did because it turned into something positive for us. But we weren't included in any of that. And Bridget, we were reminiscing about a time when me, you and Kendra all got together right before we started filming. And we were like, we don't want to portray any sex life on the show or anything like that. 
but they would still kind of find ways in the early days to kind of sneak that in. Mm -hmm. They'd like ask Kendra to walk into Hep's room and, hey, shut the door behind you and make it look like it was going to be like a sex scene or something. And I'm watching that back now. I'm like, ugh. Yeah, like even when you guys are on the plane sometimes, like going from New York or Chicago or whatever, they kind of insinuate, oh, like maybe there would be some sort of orgy or something on the flight home. Like there was definitely some little hints here and there, but never anything blatant at all. Yeah, they would always play it very coy. Like Bridget and I were just talking about that scene where they had Kendra shut the door and then you hear giggling behind the door. So it could kind of play off in a family-friendly way. Like, oh, well, maybe they're all watching a movie. Yeah. But then it leaves the suggestion there for people to be like, oh, what's going on? And I think that was very purposeful. We're just having a tickle party. Right. <laughs> every, every male's fantasy who weren't even watching the show. <laughs> we also talked about it too, um, just as us three girls, that we knew that they were going to try and edit us in certain ways and that we just all had to kind of have thick skin and like know that each of us didn't really feel that way or, you know, right. just to be very honest with each other about it and and to just realize that some of it was going to be editing to make us look like there was competition or mad at each other or saying things that we didn't mean or whatever. But I'm sure there were times where you were like, what the fuck did you just say about me? Like, that was crazy. Or like you were just sized, like blindsided by the fact that one of you guys said something or would you have to have conversations like, oh, I was edited into saying it like that or... Well, at first, I think we were all good sports about it. But then when things become consistent and you start seeing things, stuff, it, then it starts, I think it does start wearing on you eventually. And you start thinking, no, this isn't just the way this person's being edited. This is the way that person feels. Right. Like I have a belief that threes just never work in relationships and friendships. Like threes are tough. I'm sure there was some triangulation all the time between someone was left out or two of you were asked to do an opportunity that the third wasn't, Right. Yeah, that would happen all the time. And it was even before it was the three of us, even when there were seven girlfriends, I would notice things like even when I was the new girl and I was being favored, like Hep would kind of favor one person. So then the person who'd been there the longest would get jealous right. and stuff like that. And then it would switch as the cast switched. And then Kendra was the new girl. So there was a lot of that going on for sure. And what did his favoritism look like? Was it gifts? Was it extra time? Because I would imagine if it was favoritism, like in the bedroom, you'd be like very anxious to get someone else in that position. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, the favoritism was more like giving certain compliments in front of people. Like say, if he had just insulted me for like wearing red lipstick, then the next time, next day, oh, he would praise Kendra in front of everybody for wearing red lipstick. Or right. it would be giving people like an extra opportunity, like, oh, I'm doing this pictorial in the magazine. And, you know, the new girl gets to be a part of it uh -huh. and things like that. And a lot more freedom too. Like the newer people would get praised all the time and they get all this freedom and then they'd get like the new car and everything. And it was, it was very purposeful in my opinion. <laughs> That's the thing is like a lot of what he did wrong was the psychological warfare on all of you guys, which is kind of hard to express and articulate in a way that people can understand, I would imagine. But you can kind of see it in those last episodes of season five, I think it was where the twins come in and Crystal comes in and they're getting puppies and cars and all that nonsense. It's like, you can see that there. But I want to talk about the rules. Let's talk about, I'm so curious just about the little things. So let's start with the most important. Were you guys obligated to see Laurent, who was your guys' hairstylist, who made you all platinum blonde? No. no. Yeah, we didn't have to. Okay. But your hair had to be the same color. We needed to be blonde. You needed to be blonde. Okay. 
But bleach blonde, was that a requirement? I think my hair was always darker than everyone else's, yeah. but I mean, still very blonde. Right. We would definitely, I, I felt like I was encouraged to have like whiter and whiter hair. Like that's right. what got better feedback. So right. I kept it up. And then when you cut your hair, Holly, that didn't go over well, right? Dun, yeah. Dun, he dun. freaked yes. out on me when I cut my hair, <laughs> which I thought you, it was Holly? okay. Yeah. I thought it would be okay to cut my hair because he had had a girlfriend in the past with short hair. So I thought, oh, this is doable, but apparently not. It was not. So, okay. <laughs> so when you guys first started the show, were you guys given more freedom or less freedom? More freedom More. eventually because it got to a point where after the first couple seasons, we had filmed our daily routine at the mansion so much that they needed to start doing other things like, well, maybe the girls could go on a snowboarding trip. So yeah. that was my first time staying the night away from half, spending one night away from half happened after we'd been together for six years. Wow. And I was only allowed to do it because of the show. Wow. And so that was really, it was like 24 hours maximum. I think the longest trip we went on was the trip to Alaska. We got mm -hmm. to stay away, maybe a total of two or three nights. It's like we traveled, did like two days there. Yeah. And I don't even remember if we stayed, like we would travel weird hours so that we would have to stay less nights. Like Bridget, when we went to your hometown, we had to get up at like six in the morning just to drive to Northern California and be back. I think it was earlier than that. I haven't seen that episode in a while, but we had to get up so early to drive to, to Northern California, film all day long and drive back. And when we say uh, go, that we traveled and stuff and we got, don't, uh, I need to clarify that we still had, he sent security with us. Right. still and the camera crews and producers and things like that so it wasn't like it wasn't like we weren't supervised totally. yeah <laughs> like when you went to go visit your families was there any time that you guys were just like kicking it without cameras or security or anything and just get to getting to see your family now no, no. Okay. so what were the curfews like did you ever go out without him or like where were those enforced well, we had to be in by nine o'clock every night. Okay. And I remember once I had a photo shoot in like Orange County and traffic was really bad. And I drove up to the house at like 9.05. And this was a night when Hef had like card night or something. Right. So he wouldn't have even noticed I wasn't back yet. And security like reprimanded me. They're like, does Mr. Hefner know where you are? I'm like, I'm five minutes late. Are you kidding oh, me? Oh my God. Ugh, it was annoying. Well, everyone was like on his side. You know what I mean? All these people worked mm -hmm. for him. Where was the most comfortable place for you to confide in at that time? Mary. Uh, Mary. Okay, Mary O'Connor, who was Hef's assistant slash secretary. Yeah, I would say Mary. Like, sometimes I would vent about certain things, hoping they would make its way back to Hef, because it was hard for me to bring things up for him, because he would lose his temper or, like, bite my head off or something. So, you know, Mary and I were very close, but obviously I know that, you know, she talks to half about everything too. So right. sometimes I would complain about things, hoping it would like make its way back and he might have some sympathy. Mary had a way of talking to Hef. So like if we really needed something or wanted to talk to Hef about something, but we weren't sure, it was always a safe bet to go to Mary first. And a lot of times she would be like, well, let me ask him for you. Or let me, let me talk to him about that. And it's like, oh, thank God. Yeah. yeah. You can <laughs> often see her like giving him a debrief about what you guys were doing or what your plans were. But like on the show, you almost forget that you guys are even girlfriends because like he just comes off as this docile old man you know like grandpa like, yeah gr right grandpa <laughs> character and I know that he had a very dark side and how long did it take each of you to see that well I think it would be different for all three of us because we all 
I mean, what we saw total was very different. Like I saw a lot more just because I lived in the same room as him and I was with him longer and things like that. I mean, honestly, I didn't mentally acknowledge it until right before I left until I'd been there for seven years because it was something I just kept burying and making excuses for. And it was very easy for me to blame all the problems in the relationship on the other women. Because when I joined the group, there were six other women were like triangulated against each other. And I thought if they were just gone, things would calm down and they'd be okay. And, you know, Hep and I would bond over certain things and I would think he was such a great guy. And I kind of had him up on this pedestal and really admired him. And it wasn't until like, I finally like had my breaking point, like seven years later that I was like, oh my God, this guy's a nightmare. <laughs> right. He's like not what you thought he was. Yeah. What about you, Bridget? Well, for me, I still see him as the way you explain him on the show. Like I, um don't have so many negative feelings looking back. I actually have a lot of positive feelings looking back on things, but there were moments. I mean, when you're with somebody for seven years, there's no way that there isn't, you know, uh, times of things like, so there were, there were little things and little signs. And, and like Holly said, she's in the bedroom with him 24 seven. She's the main relationship. I'm down the hall. I have more freedom. And we talk about this on an upcoming um, episode, but there was kind of a triple standard the way each of us were treated, not just a double standard. There was each of us had (laughs) kind of a different standard that we were held to. Yeah. And so for me, I felt like I had a little bit more freedom, not as much as Kendra, but definitely more than Holly. And so for me, um, I, I look back on things more positively, but like I said, there were instances, like I, I just remember one that sticks out and I, I mentioned this all the time is, uh, my grandfather died and he died right around, uh, Thanksgiving time. And I went home and it, everything was kind of prolonged because it was Thanksgiving weekend and they couldn't do the funeral right away. So I was kind of home for an, more time than you might think I need to be home for my grandfather's funeral uh, if you're living at the mansion. Right, <laughs> like there yes. shouldn't be a time frame on that, but you know yes. what I mean? And uh, then when I came back, I I was asking him about going somewhere or doing something. And he goes, I just let you go home for your grandfather's funeral. And he just was throwing a tantrum about it. And I thought, you just let me go home because my grandpa died like what right like was it for optics like was that was he was was that what he was concerned about like that other people would see that you were gone or was it actually like he missed you I don't know Holly what are your thoughts I think it's a combination I think optics are a part of it but I think he had a really really deep insecurity that I know I didn't acknowledge for a long time because you look at somebody who's so successful and iconic like how could they ever be insecure But one thing I learned over the years is he had a very deep insecurity about girlfriends cheating on him or not having control, like having control over the group and control over me was such a big part of what I experienced. Yeah, He would tell stories about like a girl who rejected him in high school or how his first wife cheated on him right before they got married. But it's not an excuse for that kind of behavior, especially when you've been so validated since then. It's crazy. Well, and then there was also claims of like girlfriends cheating on him, like with staff and things like that too. So yeah, that would happen constantly. Oh my God. So then when you guys started the show, you know, did he initially think I'm going to be the focal point? It's going to be, I think the pilot was called like Hef's world or something. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it quickly turned into Holly, Bridget and Kendra's world. So was he ever envious of the camera time that you guys got and the fame? Well, in the beginning, he when we would do press, people would ask, oh, why are you doing a show about the girls? And he would cackle and say, because daddy doesn't want to do the work. 
like he wants the exposure and the whatever for his brand or whatever and his lifestyle, but he didn't want to do it, which is as Bridges pointed out before, like very understandable because he's busy with other things. But he also wanted us to be the main characters, but he didn't want to pay us or anything in the beginning. Like we didn't get paid for the first order of shows that they did. And which is crazy. To me. Yeah. But I understand like when Bridget says like I went in to talk about that one day and they said like there's a bunch of people lined up to replace you. Right. How that would be intimidating. Absolutely. Like we just, I, I felt at that time because I had already been, li- been living there for four years. I didn't even feel like I had the power to ask for anything. And eventually it was Mary who got us paid because we had shot like eight episodes or something. And I went to Mary and I said, you know what? I'm actually like spending money to do this show because obviously you want to look cute. You want to buy the outfits and, or things you need for the plane ticket to go to Vegas or things like that. Like we weren't even, and you were paying for that. Yeah. Like everything oh we did, God. we paid for it. And, uh, or if we were throwing a party for each other, the supplies, we bought things like that. So I told Mary, I'm actually spending money to be on the show. And she's like, this isn't right. We need to get you guys paid. So she finally said something to somebody that got us paid. But also Bridget, wouldn't you say that as the show went on, like maybe by season five, like right before it ended, Hef was really into wanting to be in every episode. Yeah. There was a time where he was like wanting, wanting more attention from it. Yeah, like the attitude kind of changed. Like after he saw what the show was and how much people liked it, he was eventually like, okay, I need to be in every episode now. Yeah, like when you guys learned to <laughs> scuba dive, like he didn't need to come down and say hi, but like he probably wanted to pop in. Don't yeah, worry, yeah. I, have, I have an, I'm an encyclopedia for this <laughs> entire show. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like, in, I, I remember clocking in that episode. I'm like, why is he coming down? Like, that's so bizarre. But at that <laughs> time, things you can tell things are already starting to like disintegrate a little bit. I think, and I could be wrong because we haven't reviewed episode five. I haven't seen episode five since it came out. I haven't yeah. even like looked at that for my YouTube or anything. But if memory serves, I think we had all already told Hef we were moving out when we shot that scene because Hef brought the twins with him. Do yeah. you remember that? Yeah, yeah. to the boat. And the twins didn't start seeing Hef until after we left. Like there was no real overlap there. So when we shot the final scuba diving scene, we were just finishing up scenes we had to finish for that season right and just just to help me out here was the kissing him on the mouth mandatory (laughs) (laughs) i don't ever remember it being mandatory i just feel like that's something he always did as he leaned in for like this weird peck and it's fun yeah like even when your moms came to visit he'd kiss them on the mouth you know (laughs) (laughs) he was kind of bizarre about that like he'd just kiss everyone on the mouth and i feel like but if someone like ever just let made him like kiss them on the cheek i feel like that wouldn't go over well yeah i mean i'm sure there were some people that like turned their heads and stuff but i i don't remember it's just something he always did but it's funny looking back on the show i think i discussed this i don't know if it's aired yet or not but I notice he goes in with this weird open mouth peck and I don't remember noticing it at the time or thinking it was weird or gross at the time. But when you see it from like a camera angle, it's like, that's just weird. Yes, exactly. Like you see him do it to like like. Anastasia or something, your sister, you know, and you're like, what the hell? (laughs) I want to get further into like the ending of the show in a minute, but let's talk about while you were in the house, the stuff that wasn't on the show, the stuff that happened behind closed doors. Okay. But I kind of want to know about excuses, right? Because I would be in that position. I would probably be looking for, I have the flu. I have bronchitis. I, my cousin's in town. Like, I'd look for every excuse to either not have to go out on Thursday nights or, like, not participate in the sexcapades. What were valid excuses that would get you out of that? To stuff? not go out or to not have sex? Both. 
Let's start with to not go out. There was almost no valid excuse to not go out. You would have to be like throwing up and like he'd have to see that. Right. <laughs> and um, or he had just had a surgery was like a reason some girls didn't go out or you were out of town for some reason, like visiting family or whatever, which was rare. Okay. But if, if I like had a headache or something that does not qualify as an excuse not to go out. Okay. Would you tell Mary? No, you would probably tell him because we didn't go out till later, you know, so he would be expecting that you were going to get, like, if you weren't feeling well during the day, he'd expect you to, like, take a nap and and feel better by the time it's time to go out. I would, like, (laughs) plant that seed on Monday. I'd be like, whoa, I'm really not feeling well. Something's (laughs) coming over me. And then I I gave it to Bridget, too. You know, I'd be like, and I'm contagious. (laughs) Everyone's got it. Yeah. (laughs) So what about with sex? Was there ever, other than, like, a period, was there... And would he track that? Like, how did he know that you were telling the truth? He would keep track in this black book he had of everybody he had sex with each night. And this wasn't really the case for me because I lived in the room with him. So it was easier for me to just casually ask to pick up my allowance. But I know other girls have complained about having to track him down during the day at really inconvenient times. And then when they would collect the money, he'd break out the book and be like, oh, well, you've been on your period a long time, or you didn't show up to this buffet, or you didn't do this. They'd get kind of like the rundown of like what they're doing wrong. And that'd be like a dock in your pay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, they, he didn't dock the pay, but he would, he would definitely scold you. Mm-hmm. So did your allowance increase as your time there? No, it was like one standard for everyone. Like, did Holly get paid the same amount as you? Yes. Okay. You know what? I did, but it was funny because at, when I moved in, I was like the new girl. So I was like being treated the best. And somehow a rumor got started that he was giving me more money. And oh the my. girls were like confronting me about it and at my throat. And I'm like, no, I get the same as you guys. I remember hearing that rumor. They were like, Holly gets $2,000 a week. And the rest of yeah. And I heard $1, that the girl who confronted me said she heard that from the girl who was the main girlfriend at the time. And she said she heard it from Hef. So I don't, Hef said something that like made wow. somebody think I got more money and that put me in the line of fire. And I feel like it was all part of that like triangulation dynamic. Totally. And then like all this is going on. There's like tension with other girls. I mean, not Ugh. so much when it was just the three of you, but there was a lot. I would imagine even in the bunny house. And then you guys have to get together and like throw a, p- a party for someone or be with them in the bedroom later. How much of it would you say, if you had to put a percentage on it, was acting versus real? It depends on if you're talking about back when it was the mean girls time and we were there with seven girls. or <laughs> No, once girls about, next door started. Oh, I don't think that was acting. I feel like the three of us genuinely got along. Yeah. But with the bunnies also, like in the bunny house. Yeah. We loved having them there. That was our idea. We kind of took it upon ourselves because- Bridget and I became friends and we were living with like five or six other women and it was miserable. Like we were at each other's throats and we kind of took it upon ourselves to kind of try to create a more positive atmosphere. Like I told Hep I was going to start meeting the new playmates and the girls who were testing for playmate and staying in the guest house when they arrived. And I would give them a tour and show them around the mansion and make them feel comfortable. And we really made an effort to make friends with the playmates and got, I can't even think of like one playmate that came along after that time period that we didn't get along with. Because yeah. Bridget, they did you dirty in that first episode, first couple episodes where they were like, tried to make it. I know. That aired today. It did? Yeah. And that podcast that we did on that episode was today. And it's 
you know, I put it out of my mind when so much has happened since then and, and so many years has passed. And I totally put that episode out of my mind. Not that I forgot about it, but I just buried it kind of. Right. And rewatching it again was so devastating for me because, I mean, I was great friends with Sarah. And Raquel, we didn't get as close to because she lived in Florida, but Sarah would come around all the time. And I was friends with Sarah after the fact. And, and I know they kind of make it look like I do this to all the girls that come in, but they were specifically talking targeting Sarah and Raquel in that episode. But it's so not your nature. It's not. And I think they didn't know that at the time, but they, they thought they were going to pin the mean girl thing on me and the the vicious, vindictive one on me. And it just didn't play out because I'm not that person. And the same with Holly. They thought she was going to be the emotional one right. <laughs> at the beginning. And that's not her character. That's not who she is. Right. So I think they thought they knew where they were going and then they realized they couldn't go in that direction. But still, that's kind of uh, the episode that defines who I am. Like it's my episode and um, it's I feel like it's just so unfair. Totally. We're setting the record straight now. That is it was an unfair portrayal of who you are. It's true. Yeah. And they only show that. They only show my desire to want to be a playmate and, and being jealous and vindictive of everybody else as if I don't have other things going on, as if I'm not the person that's closest to my family out of everybody there and has them around all the time. Right. And getting her master's degree and doing all these other incredible yeah, things. So they don't show all those sides of me. So yeah. And just like in the first episode, they don't show all the different sides of Holly either. And it's no. supposed to be her episode. It's just her being, uh, wanting the other girls gone and being Hess number one. It's all they give her. Totally. So let's go back to kind of life in the mansion. When you guys were out of town, were there like three girls that would come in and have sex with him? Like, did he ever have sex with people when you guys weren't there? Not that we know of. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I genuinely don't think he was at the time. And later on in the series, when we got to travel, I would kind of encourage scenes like that because I thought they were funny. Like when we went to Jamaica for my sister's wedding, I remember telling the producer, you know, it would be funny if you showed half like watching a movie with the three other girls and we acted like we're jealous or we acted like because we were trying to call him and like the lines didn't work from where yeah. we were. And so I would encourage that. And also there was an episode in season one where we're driving back late from Bridget's hometown and I'm like, let's let's talk about who half like might be sitting by and like who's on his lap. And then they pinned it on our friend Stacy, who's a good yes. sport. But <laughs> yes. Yeah, because there are those scenes where like people are trying to cozy up to him. And tell me this though. You guys have families and stuff, and you had friends that would come and visit. And it seems like if you were in half's position, you wouldn't want anyone to come visit, right? Because you wouldn't want people to know what was going on there. Or like, did it seem benign to your friends and family? Well, I think a lot of people on the inner circle only saw the good sides. Yeah. Like if you were a regular who came up for like fun in the sun and like buffet movies on the weekends, like even his closest friends, they're not seeing his dark side. They're seeing the gracious host and all the good parts about him. And I used to be a guest who would come to fun in the sun every Sunday. And that's what I saw. So that's why I thought it would be a great idea to move in. Yes. And he was welcoming to like families to come over for like a buffet or whatever, or later on in the show, you know, to come and stay and things like right. that. I think he always wanted to like put on a good face and like win the family's approval. Yeah. I think family and friends pretty much thought they were very cool to be invited there. And it was a very iconic experience and such a cool place to be. And they were excited and happy to be there, you know? Of course they were. It was iconic. 
So I just wonder, like when I was watching the episode where Bridget, your sister, Anastasia, is getting her makeover from you guys, was there ever any concern that like Hef would convince her to join him in the bedroom or that there would be any sort of line crossed? Never. I I was not. Like, I um, always knew that my sister was not interested in anything like that. And I always felt like um, Hef would never cross that line or anybody there really would ever uh, cross that line. I feel like Hef wouldn't just, like, go after somebody. They would have to show an interest in wanting to be a part of that situation. I mean, Holly, you can weigh in on that, too, what you think. But um, I don't – my sister never had any – feelings of wanting to join that or anything like that. So yeah, I agree with you, Bridget, a hundred percent. Like I think even the guys who get the most girls are always kind of low key looking for like the lowest hanging fruit, meaning like girls that approach them. And and of course he has this machine going where a lot of girls are approaching him. And he also wants to find girls that he can control. So I think finding a girl who expresses interest first is very important to him. Like I was with him for seven years and I can only think of like one person he expressed interest in that wasn't really interested. But then even she like was working at the parties and like gave him this gift and stuff like that. So I'm sure he took that as interest, but I never, like, I didn't see him really pursue people. It was usually like the women showed interest and then he's like, okay, come into my world. And once you got in there, that's when like the control started kicking in. Whether they like, you know, tried to pose for play, you know, whether Mm -hmm. they like sent in, there are photographs or anything. There are a lot of different angles that he was working with from people coming in all the time. Yeah. So just answer this question for me, because these are just questions that I have as I'm watching this show. And I'm like, <laughs> what's going on here? What? How, what's the behind the scenes of this all? On the sex nights, where do the dogs go? You guys had 27,000 dogs. And like, I find it hard to hard to have sex when my, like, I have one dog. And I'm like, if he's watching me, it's like a disaster. Where would you put all the dogs? Like, especially in your room, Holly. That's where everything went down. You know, what's crazy about this question is I don't remember at all. Do you know, Bridget, did I put them downstairs, like in the med room when we went out or were they in my vanity? No, I think they were people? just in the vanity. Yeah. Yay. I love that. Cause I know that when girls are walking through, my dogs are probably giving them hell and they were right. stepping in shit. So right. I'm happy about that. <laughs> Those rooms were intense. I feel like they smelled like pee. Some more than others. Right. Like yeah. was your room like cleaned every day? Yeah. Well, I insisted on having the carpet taken out of my my half of the room because I was like, this is too crazy. Because that carpet had probably been there and that those underwear hanging from the chandelier. I mean, for how long? A long time. Well, I also insisted or heavily lobbied to have the carpet replaced on the stairway. And I think that carpet had been there since like before I was born. It was like from the 70s oh and just gross. God. And sometimes you would come home from the club and just, when I first moved in, there were nine dogs in the house and a lot of them were big dogs. <laughs> and I remember coming home from the club and all these girls are going upstairs, including like new girls he had just met. And right. there's like piles of dog shit <laughs> on the stairs. It was just Ugh. like disgusting. Well, yeah. When you look at the three of your rooms, like it's, there's so much shit in there. Like there's just even objects and clothes. And then Kendra's room was insane always. Mm-hmm. It was nutty. I remember when I came to test for Playmate way back in 98, the first time I walked in the house, I was like, oh, it's musty and smells like pee in here. It's so weird. <laughs> You're like, this is not what I thought I was getting myself into at all. <laughs> so we need to crack a window. For, for yeah. real. But he didn't seem to care. I don't, seem- I think he was nose blind. Yeah. He was used yeah, to I don't, by that. I don't know if he really realized the extent. <laughs> 
speaking of disassociation, kind of like what you guys had to do with the smell, what other tactics were there to disassociate from the parts that you didn't really want to be attentive to? Whether it was the sex times or just even when your self-esteem was dragged through the mud. Did you like leave your body? Were there drugs? Was there anything that could help you cope? I mean, for me, like when we would go out and stuff, it was a lot of drinking and smoking weed. Like I would be wasted, like blackout wasted regularly. And for like during the day, if something unpleasant would happen, I mean, I just remember when I lived there all the time feeling really uptight and like I was walking on eggshells and like the rug was going to be pulled out from me before I was ready at any moment. So it was kind of like a weird existence to look back on. But yeah, I'm a huge dissociator in general. And it was probably heavily encouraged by those years. Well, I think for both of us, it was our friendship too. Like we could go into my room and vent Yes. When we weren't being eavesdropped on, we right. sometimes yeah. we had to like go out to lunch or take a walk at the park or something to yeah. like vent about things. And for me too, it was friends, just like playmates and Crystal and Stacy and my sister and people like that. And my room was kind of the hub where everyone would hang out. So I'd be able to like talk to them about things or they would bring up things to me that they overheard or saw or you know, thought was happening or, and then also, um, for me was my mom. I, I'd call her all the time. We're very close to my mom. And then Mary was like my surrogate mom at the mansion. So those having friends and family and, and things like that to talk to absolutely helped me the most to get through everything. Definitely. You need that. You know, you need all of those things when you're in such a unique situation, like you guys were in. So Holly, this question is for you. I know you've been vocal about your, your neurodivergence, right? And like mm-hmm. kind of that becoming more apparent to you as time has gone on. What role do you think that did that play in your time at the mansion and in your relationship with Hef? Well, I think it's one of the reasons I felt so bonded to him early on and was able to feel connected to him and overlook the heavy age gap is because growing up, I never really felt like I connected much with anybody. So, and especially when I'm not connecting with guys my age and I'm meeting somebody that I feel like I finally have common interests in, I felt like not knowing I was neurodivergent at the time. I just felt like, well, maybe this is meant to be because I always have such a hard time connecting with all these people. And then here's this person that I very much admire that I'm really connecting with. And of course, in the beginning, like he makes it very easy to like fall into that lifestyle. I just thought, you know, this, this is it. This is my person. But looking back, I'm like, I think I'm just neurodivergent. (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't (laughs) connecting with people easily because of that. Not because it was like some meant to be thing that I was meant to be with this older person because I'm an old soul. You know what I mean? Which is kind of how it was characterized on the show a little bit. But did that play into you guys went through hell with some of the girls like did that you are and you were essentially like in this sorority and if it's hard to connect with people I'd assume it'd be hard to connect with all of them right oh god yeah I mean I I just feel like Bridget and I were coming from such a different mindset as the other girls in the beginning and there was just no getting along and over time I was able to like work on my social skills and make like a concerted effort to like reach out to people and we were able to you know make friends with the playmates and make people feel really welcome but yeah I mean I mean, those girls not connecting with them. I can't even blame that. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure being neurodivergent is part of it. Like everybody thought it was weird, but also we were just coming from such completely different places and mindset and the situation with Hef was so toxic and he was so successful at pitting us against each other because 
you know, think about it. Like if we all seven of us got along and decided, Hey, Hef, we're not feeling good tonight. We don't want to go out. You know, he wouldn't have the say, but if we're at each other's throats and we're competing and we're like, I can't not take a night off or he's going to move a new girl in that that girl wants to move in. He's winning. That makes a lot of sense. I've never thought of it like that because other yeah. people, you guys could be this united front. And that's probably why he was nervous about moving it then to the three of you because it was this bonded together. But like there, but uh, like you said, Bridget, you guys were treated with different rules and different set of expectations. So there still was a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, there absolutely was. And I think uh, eventually those kinds of things really get on your nerves. Yeah. And like, why does that person get to do this? And and I can't, you know? So yeah, I think he was definitely still playing the game, but it's just, there was three of us and we actually truly did like each other and get along for the longest time until it starts to get, get to you. Right. And what season would you say that started where you guys were a little like disconnected? I don't know if it was so much a season. It was, I always compare it to like a sibling rivalry where sometimes there would be like a little flare up, but then you'd get over it. But to us, that was just so different from what we dealt with before when we were living with five other women, because it was constantly like people eavesdropping, people making up lies about you, people trying to get you kicked out, things like that. And we never had that with Kendra. Like, even though in the first episode, they try to make it look like I want the girls gone. They use a soundbite from me talking about the girls from before and they make it look like Kendra's trying to like move in on Hef. Like I never felt like that. Like I always felt like Bridget and Kendra both were so supportive of Hef's in my relationship. So it, w- it would just be like a flare up every once in a while. Like I would feel sometimes like Kendra was given certain advantages and then she would have a snotty attitude toward me on top of it, or at least that's how I interpreted it at the time. So it would, there would just be like these flare ups here and there, but overall we got along pretty well. Totally. Yeah. So Holly, I know like you tried, you know, even IVF with Hef, like you were Mm -hmm. really in it to win it, thought that like you guys were really in love and maybe you were at the time. Bridget, what was your, and Kendra, but you can probably just speak for yourself. Did you feel like you were in love with him? No, I loved him. I cared about him, but not in love. And I always respected Holly and Hef as the main relationship. And we were kind of just like, I always just called it like the icing on the cake, like just extra, you know, and we were around for, I I like how Holly puts it for, um, a good time, not a long time, (laughs) although I was there quite a while, but I wasn't there for, you know, the long haul kind of thing. So, I mean, I think we were just, uh, having fun and, um, sticking around. And and at that time, like I said, our friendships were really great and we were doing the show and it was also a career. So like we were, you know, sticking in it for all of that. That makes sense. So what was the diet culture like in the house? I would imagine with all those girls being compared to each other constantly, and then you add the layer of the show. Tell me about the diet culture, and did any of it come from half? Sometimes it came from half. I mean, I think everybody kind of coming into it, if you're trying to be a centerfold, because at the time, just the beauty standard was all about being thin. Totally. People are either really naturally thin, or they're taking it upon themselves. Like, I know for me, like, I counted every calorie I ate, but... Sometimes Hef would weigh in with really inappropriate comments that I just can't wrap my head around how he thought that was okay. Like if I was kind of bloated one day and just in the standing naked in the bathroom, he'd be like, oh, it looks like we're having a baby. Or, you know, there was one time we were in the limo with Kendra and just out of the blue, he was like, 
oh, you know, I know there's a lot of good food at the mansion, but you really need to start thinking about hitting the gym. And we were just like, did not know what to do. Mortified. He would, yeah. And he would say that to playmates sometimes at the middle of a buffet dinner, like in front of everybody. And it was just oh my God. so embarrassing. Yeah. Bridget, did you have a similar experience? I was never told anything like that by Hef, but um, I definitely was portrayed on the show as like the fat girl <laughs> and the one who was always like trying like eating too much cake or going for all the goodies and stuff and i'm actually in in real life back at the mansion and today still uh very disciplined like i i'll eat whatever i want but i i do it in moderation and i'm always i work out seven days a week and so i kind of have this happy medium i feel like you can I don't, I just don't believe in dieting and I feel like you can, you can count calories and, and try and stay within like a healthy amount of calories and, and that, but I don't believe that diets work. I think you have to find something that you can maintain. And for me, it's eating whatever I want within moderation right. and, um, and working out. No, that's so interesting that you mentioned the way that the show was edited because you truly were edited to be the one that was seemingly always eating or looking longingly at a cake they really did you dirty so like if you didn't have a complex before all of that you sure as hell are gonna have one after you see those episodes it did piss me off and I, I talked to the producers about it one time and I said you know what you always make me look like I'm the one that's going you always feel me going for the food or you try and make me look like the fat girl in quotes you know like on the show and he just started laughing like hysterically and he's like that's not true no we don't but he was being all sheepish about it like absolutely that's what they were doing right a hundred percent it's so fucked it's so damaging to the audience too, especially since a huge part of our audience was young women, because oh. I still see people comment today when they talk about the show, they're like, I cannot believe it. They'll say going back and watching this, like Bridget has the most amazing body, but they had me fooled as a kid to think she was fat. Like that is so messed up. Right. It's like you get brainwashed by this. Yeah. Show. I look back on it and I'm like, oh, we all look great. We look amazing in those little outfits and, and in my workout outfit and stuff like that. And I was like, why did I feel like I was fat? It's because they made me think I was fat. The editing was fucked up. You're right. Mm -hmm. You're so right. So in keeping with that, can each of you share your darkest moment, month, season, or just day in the mansion? Like as far as your self-esteem went, like was there a really low time or moment? Oh, I remember mine. Like I remember early on in one of the first few years I lived there, probably about 2003, like I was in the bathtub completely wasted after like a night out. And I was just fantasizing about like, what would it be like if I could just go under the water and like drown myself and just like wishing for that, because I felt like nothing was ever going to get better at the mansion. I felt like I was saddled with this reputation from just being one of Hef's girlfriends that I was like afraid to leave and just afraid of judgment. I felt like a lot of people had really judged me super harshly for even moving in. And I was just at such a low point and just felt like I had no hope and my self-esteem was in the toilet. And I just felt like nothing was going to get better. Ugh, no, that makes so much sense that you guys would feel like you had this scarlet letter if you ever chose to leave the mansion, that maybe people would think that all you were good for was being Hef's girlfriends or for taking your clothes off, and that would make you feel trapped or like you couldn't leave because you didn't know what awaited you on the other side. I'd been there for a while, and I felt like nothing was improving, like we really weren't getting along with the other girls in the house, and things were just awful. Right. 
God. What about you, Bridget? Mine was also probably around that same time. I don't know a specific date or time, but it was when all of the girls were there. And uh, it's not a specific day or even week, but I just remember being just feeling so depleted. And I I felt like things, like Holly said, were never going to get better. It felt like we were walking on eggshells all the time. The girls were just so mean. I didn't even want to walk out of my room. I, I actually felt my physical I felt for my physical safety like I thought that there could even be a fist fight or pushing or something going on in the hall I I um would call my mom and I'd be crying and just devastated, but I didn't want to leave because I'd given up so much to be there. I wasn't from LA. I had, you know, given up everything. My, my family, which I'm really close to, um, I took my savings to move to LA. And like, if it, this doesn't work out, like I'm going all the way back home. Like, it's not just like I'm moving out of the mansion. Like I'm going all the way home and it's all over. Yes. I think that's a common theme with Hef and his girlfriends is kind of, and or just people that are involved in that world is like their alternative to being in that world is maybe they left their whole family like you said they like spent all their savings they don't have much to fall back on and I feel like he maybe indirectly or directly like preyed upon that you know and knew that like you guys didn't have anywhere else to go yeah like there was no one ever as a girlfriend when I was there that ever really had any financial means it was always girls who were like struggling right of course that makes sense Tell me about the moment you knew you had to leave, that you had to break up with half, that you were were gone. For me, it was, you know, I'd been working at the Playboy studio for about two years and that had really helped my self-esteem so much, like to go in and feel capable doing something and working with other women and helping them feel beautiful and things like that. It had really done so much for me. And half and I tried IVF and figured that it wasn't going to work. And I really wanted to have kids one day. So I was kind of wrestling with that. Like I've already, I felt like I'd made this huge emotional commitment to be with him for the rest of his life. But I'm like, well, if he can't have kids, then I don't want to miss out on having kids by staying here. So I was really conflicted about that. But after that, he's when Bridget and Kendra said they were leaving, you know, that should have been my dream because I was getting him all to myself. But because he didn't have the dynamic to like pit me and Kendra against each other, play us off of each other he started really taking things out on me even more than he did and getting really verbally abusive. And there were probably like three times he like exploded on me in really inappropriate, embarrassing ways. And I just thought I can't be here anymore. Like I have, I have to go. It just became like too much to handle, Mm -hmm. but that begs a different question. And Bridget, I want to get to your answer, but because he had a lot of unprotected sex, like you'd think he'd be just terrified of impregnating random women all the time. Well, it was discovered when we did IVF that just his sperm didn't work because we tried to do it. <laughs> oh my God. That's but also crazy. like not to get too graphic, but yeah. he would never like finish in anybody. I was and just going to say use, that too. And this is so gross, but he would always use baby oil as lube. And I don't know if that has any spermicidal <laughs> effects, but God, I know it's, but no, I appreciate you telling me that. I was like, how would that happen? So Mm -hmm. Bridget, what was your moment of saying, I got to hit the road? 
Well, I uh, got my travel channel show, uh, Bridget Sexiest Beaches, and yes. I was going to be leaving um, for that for like six months to film it. And uh, there would be times where I would come back and forth. So I thought that I would just stay at the mansion until that was done. It was going to be in uh, March. It was going to be finished, wrapped. And so I thought I would stay until then. Um, but then I came back at Christmas time. We stopped filming for the holidays. And um while I was there, he had moved the twins in and I'm not sure if Crystal was there or not. I don't remember seeing her, but I thought she was, th I don't know. Uh, there yeah. was new girls there. Okay. And, um, but Holly and Kendra were still, were still there. Uh, Kendra was still there. She was packing up. She had her room in boxes and was packing up and, uh, Holly, were you still there? When was this? Was this October or November? This is December. Oh no, I was gone. I, my last, okay. last day staying in bedroom five was Halloween that year. Okay. Okay. So, um, I, I came back for the holidays and things were just really weird. And like the twins were just like parading through my room whenever they wanted to. And I heard them get in a fight in the Wait, hall. they went into your room? Yeah. Like I would be getting ready in the bathroom and they just like barge <laughs> in and be like shot time. And like, just like, or like, let's Jesus. do this or let's that. I was like, whoa, Random. I know. Jesus so like, there was just Christ. like no privacy. The vibe was totally different. Um, I heard the twins getting in like a fist fight in the hall at night and it freaked me <laughs> out. So I like started getting boxes and was packing because I thought, well, maybe this needs to happen sooner rather than later. And then Hef came in my room one night and said, you know, you don't need to do this. You, you don't have to leave. I'd, I'd love for you to stick around and, and show the other girls the ropes and stuff. And I said, well, well I, <laughs> yes, I really want to start dating and stuff. Right. And, and, you know, I'm doing this travel show and, um, I'm happy happy to stick around. Like my intentions were to stick around for longer, but, um, not as a girlfriend, like I would want to be mm. dating and, and stuff. And he's like, Oh, that would make me look like a fool. What do you think I am a fool? <laughs> There's no way. And I was like, okay, well then I'm going to keep packing. And he, he was just beside himself that I would want to date or like not necessarily be an official girlfriend that would make him look like a fool. So we couldn't do that. So I was like, well, I guess I'm packing. Right. I guess I got to go. Yeah. Was that your breakup process too? Was he as shocked that you wanted a different life? Did it take just one conversation or was he begging at your feet? You know, what's interesting about Hef is he definitely was in denial. I had to break up with him multiple times mm -hmm. and he was trying to win me back a lot. But I noticed looking back on his behavior, he does that a lot. Like when he's been cheated on or been dumped, he will chase after that person. If it's not, not everybody he's ever dated, but if it's like a main girlfriend or a love interest, like I've heard different stories throughout the years of like girlfriends or wives or whoever cheating on him. And then he always has to like get them back. Like it's, I think he feels like he needs to do that to feel like he has control. So it's definitely a pattern with him for sure. Oh, absolutely. So tell me this, just a little behind the scenes moment, because I just need to know that last season is very confusing because I know there were like these timelines that are going on, but they don't match up. So the Mardi Gras episode, Holly, where you dress up when you guys are mm -hmm. in New Orleans and you dress up as Chris Angel, right? And then you're dating him later in life. Had you yeah. already been dating him? No, the Mardi Gras happened. I'm trying to think if I'd even, I think I met him okay. because Bridget and I were guests on like this magic competition show he was doing. Okay. And I thought he was really cute and stuff, but it was like a, it was like a hall pass crush. Like you don't think ever, anything's going to happen, but oh, he's cute. And I wore this costume and I really liked the costume because I love doing costumes that are like 
mainstream enough that people recognize once you tell them what it is, but they kind of don't get it at first. So I love the costume. I thought it was so good, but he didn't even know about it until like a year later when the episode aired. Right. (laughs) It's very kind of random, you know? So I was like wondering, I was like, I wonder where that came from. It's so funny too. When we're in New Orleans, no one recognized Holly. Right. Oh yeah. I was in, it was a really good disguise. People were like, Holly, Kendra, can I get a picture with you guys? (laughs) Or Bridget and Bridget and Kendra, can I get a picture with you guys? And they like shoved the camera to Holly to take the picture. She's just random with us. That kind of probably probably felt liberating, but you guys were like so sick in that episode that looked like terrible. Oh my God, I was so sick. So sick. (laughs) Did you guys ever date while you were in the mansion? Because I know Kendra met Hank at the golf scramble or whatever, right? Yeah. So you guys did kind of date other people? I didn't. My overlap was like cut and dry. Like when I knew I wanted to start pursuing somebody else, that was when I broke it off with half. Okay. Pretty much the same for me. I had met, um, Nick is my fiance now still. I met him at the mansion in March of that last year we were there. He came as a guest to, uh, one of the buffet dinners in a movie. And, uh, we worked on a movie together. I produced a horror movie that he was a director on later in the year, like in August, September. And in October, I left to go film my um, Bridget Sexiest Beaches show. And that's when we started dating. And that's why I was telling Hef that, you know, I want to date. Like, I don't want to, I can't be here anymore. You saw potential. Because that's so interesting. I feel like, well, also, like, you'd probably be nervous that people would tell on you if, like, you did date before. But in those last few months where it's like dwindling and you're probably barely even seeing Hef, I would imagine they'd probably like be like, okay, I need to start dating, right? Yeah, some totally. And at that time, you know, Kendra is already moving out. She's not only dating, but she's pregnant and getting married. Holly's oh, leaving, you know, so it didn't seem anything weird that I might be dating somebody now. Wait, is she pregnant in that last, those last episodes in the scuba diving episode where she throws up on the boat? I don't know because I haven't watched episode yeah. or season okay, five since back again. then. Yeah, and it's so confusing that yeah. I actually, I can't wait to get into it and clarify. Like I know the fans want to know. And it, I just know that the timeline is so jumbled and so not real. It's life. confusing <laughs> in that season in particular. It's like mm-hmm. extremely confusing. So just to kind of close us off, I think this is something that you know, gets talked about. And I think you guys are so incredible for coming out about all of this and for taking us down memory lane of something that we want to revisit so badly. We loved you guys and love you guys so much as your fans. But I wonder like the naysayers, because there's probably a very dark side to you guys coming out to all this. Do you think, because Holly, you wrote, you wrote your book before Hef died. Yeah, 2015. Right. Was there a conversation like, okay, now that he's gone, this is easier for us to come out about all this? I never felt like it was easier or harder whether he was alive or not, because when I broke it off with him, I was just so shocked with how like delusional I'd been the whole time, like making myself believe he was this amazing person. And then I kind of realized all at once, like as if somebody just took the a sheet off of my head, like that he had been like manipulating the whole time. So I didn't even think of him as almost like a real person after I left. Like I still did my spinoff show with the same executive producer that did Girls Next Door, who was very close with Hef. And over the years, he would get me to like come back and do like a congratulations scene when Hef got married and things like that. But he would also, when I was in meetings with him, he'd be like, 
you know what? Heck really wants to talk to you. Let's just get him on the phone. And I would refuse. I'm like, no, because it freaked me out because I didn't think of Hep almost as like a real person. I thought of him as so fake. And I knew if I got on the phone with him, he was just going to say whatever he wanted to say to manipulate me a certain way. So I just didn't care what his reaction was. I just had to get the truth out. And I, it, it's honestly not easier or harder, whether he's alive or dead, but I do hate it when people chime in now and they're like, why are you doing this? Is it because he's dead? I'm like, no, I said all this when he was very much alive it's while true. able to respond. So thank you very it's much. True. Was he so angry when your book came out? I'm sure he didn't like it and he made a response, but I never, like, I don't care. I yeah. th- honestly, I think he's used to a lot of those criticisms. I don't think it was a huge shock. I, because I know that when I was with him, I would see how he would do his scrapbooks. And even if something completely negative, like a slam piece was written about him, he's still posting it oh, in his scrapbook and it. stuff. So I think there's a part of him that's desensitized. I think his friends were more angry about it than he probably was. But I just don't care. Right. And also, like, what do you expect? Like, you guys, yeah. I find it shocking you guys didn't sign NDAs. And I know like he didn't want you guys to look contractually obliged. But like, Hello? With all that dark stuff going on, like, you'd think he'd have you guys sign, like, something. Yeah, I think he just thought nobody would ever be believed. And as long as he kept his ex-girlfriends on the party list and stuff, that they'd have reason to, like, still kiss his ass. Bridget, do you kind of feel the same about the timing of all this and you guys coming out now? I just get a handful of people saying here and there, oh, you're just doing this because he's dead now. Like, I can't believe you're talking about somebody after they passed away and stuff. But the bottom line is it's my story, too. It was seven years of my life, too. So just I, you know, uh, everybody's going to die someday. It doesn't mean we can't talk about it anymore. hundred and fifty percent. So I don't really understand where people are coming from with that, but we do see that quite a bit in there. And I, and I was writing, or I did write a book. I haven't finished it. And I was trying to talk to Hef about it before he died. And I wasn't even allowed to go and see him. Oh my God. What, what was the reasoning? I was never given a reason. It was just like, oh, we're still waiting on approval for that. And I'm like, he's right down the hall. Like, right. How hard is it? It's been two weeks. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I haven't heard back yet. And I'm like, who are you waiting for exactly? Like, you got to put out that book, Bridget. I'm dying to read it. Oh, my God. I'm dying to read it. So tell me this as our kind of closing question. What are the aspects of the trauma you guys endured in? I know it was there were some great sides, some harder sides to living in the mansion. What parts are you still finding yourself having to heal? Like, what are the biggest hills that you guys still have to climb as residual emotions from that time? I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I could start, I could say so many things. Like I've been told by a therapist that I have arrested development because I didn't really do my twenties the way mm-hmm. most people do. I ha- I've had to work over a lot of things just in like relationships and trusting people. It it's kind of never ending and it's stuff that still comes up and stuff that I didn't realize was an issue. But then maybe two months ago, I realized, Oh, I do this because of the way I was treated that whole time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, not even from your childhood, you like can address it specifically back to your time at the mansion. Absolutely. Yeah. That I've been told that by therapists too. Like it's not even, it's not even a childhood thing. This was like imprinted on you. Yeah. Was there a layer of PTSD you think that you had? I don't know if I'd say PTSD, but I remember when the secrets of Playboy documentary came out, it was, you know, a 12 part series. And I would watch every one of them, except for my episode, I skipped that one, (laughs) but I watched every other. And even though it's other people's stories, 
it would give me nightmares. Every night I watched one, I would have a nightmare that I'm back at the mansion and like wake up just freaked out. Yeah. Yeah. Even Sandra, who's like 40 years older than you, she was Hef's ex-girlfriend from the 70s. Even her story probably had parallels to your story. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Right. So Bridget, what about you? Where do you still healing from? You know, I didn't think I was healing still, but when I started watching these episodes now, um, now I feel, I feel it. And like just the, the episode that we were talking about today with the, um, the new coming playmates and that kind of thing. Um, so my, but my hurt is more over the way we were edited and portrayed on the show versus the way Hef treated me. But then again, Holly and I were in a very different relationship with Hef. So, um, definitely. I can see why it's different. Definitely. So you guys, I could like talk to you for five years, truly, but I will let you guys go. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I'm like so grateful. I This was just like a purely indulgent experience on my part because I just wanted to talk to you so badly, but I appreciate you guys and thank you so much. And I wish we still lived next door to each other. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. This was a great conversation. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be reunited with you guys. <laughs>